Hey guys, welcome to The Big Reset, where we focus on reaching every student every time. I'm your host, Julie Springer, and I'm so excited to be part of your professional learning community. Today, we're going to be talking with some guests about how universal design for learning makes a difference in the classrooms and schools where they are. We'll get some insight from them on how well this framework for teaching is working in their classrooms. Let's do this thing. So glad you're here. This is Julie Springer. I'm here at CHS. I've got some friends of mine here with me in the room. I'm just going to take a second and let them go around and introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Lindy Archer and I'm a special education teacher here at CHS. My name is Sorel Kimball and I teach uh, chemistry and I'm also the science department chair at CHS. My name is Kara McWilliams and I am one of the instructional coaches. All right, ladies, I'm so glad to have you guys here. We're going to be talking about UDL today, um, that universal design for learning that we're really striving to implement on our campus. And so I want to kind of start with why? Why are we doing this? Why, why is this important? And then we're going to talk about the why in your classroom. So what are your thoughts about why is UDL important? For me, I know that there's not one size fits all. Um, I was a student who struggled with chemistry when I was in high school and that really has shaped how I approach my classroom teaching and stuff like that and making sure that just because I said it this way for this kid that's not necessarily going to work this way for this kid and so finding multiple modalities of letting them, of showing them what these things are and how they work and, and giving them different options to show me their level of understanding as well. And so not everybody is exactly the same, and that's, I feel like, in education, that's kind of been slowly coming to the fore where everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, not everybody is gonna be able to write the perfect English paper, but they can still show me they understand the concept through acting it out or some other modality, or maybe they're an artist and they can draw me the picture that just accurately depicts what's happening, and I'm all for that. So it's a matter of, you know, finding a way that works for that individual and giving them an opportunity to show me their level of understanding through modality that works for them. Awesome, thanks. I think it sort of validates the flexibility that we as special ed teachers have been preaching for so many years that there are lots of ways that kids can prove their learning, that they can prove their mastery of a subject. And so it's refreshing for me to see this being talked about school-wide and, and kind of embraced. Yeah, I, my first thought was I feel like it's necessary to start a culture change in education. I think that thinking about like when I was a kid, I hated reading. Like if there was any time where we were going to be expected to read something and then reflect on it, I would get so anxious and nervous because I, I had to have it perfectly quiet and I had to have all these different things in place for me to feel like I was successful reading. And I was made to feel like any sort of support that I could use to achieve that was like a weakness. So if we can change the, the feeling toward um, 
like accommodations, not as accommodations, but as just like, that's just what you need and that's fine. Um, I think that that is an appropriate shift that education needs to take to ensure that the stigma around accommodations or around you know differences in learning go away. And I, th I think it's really interesting um, that we have two of you are mentioning your past as students. I have that same type of relationship to my teaching career because based on my learning as a student. And then in special ed, we just see so many different kids that we know they have it, but we just got to figure out how to get it out. So, all right, that's, that's awesome. Um, one of the other things that we talk about in UDL is the importance of uh, working as a team and being collaborative and, and really um, sitting down and listening and tweaking our own way of doing things. Uh, can you guys think of some examples of how you've seen that working well? Um, things that you personally feel like you benefit from so that we, we can share those ideas with others? Um. I love being in my team because I get these ideas and then I can go into the team and I can be like, hey, here's what I'm thinking of doing, here's what I want, you know, here's this, this, and this. What do you guys think? And I want them to tell me what they like, tell me what they don't like. Well, what about this or what about this? Or I'm concerned about this. And I like hearing the different sides of things because when I take it into the classroom, there's gonna be different sides of how different people see it. And so just because I'm seeing it this way doesn't necessarily mean everybody's gonna see it that way. And so the value of taking it to somebody else and having them see it and I can now hear how, are, how is this being perceived in different ways and what are the things I would need to do to tweak it to make it better. Um, and then I like collaborating with my kids too. And so I'll also go to them and be like, what did you guys think? Did that work for you? Did that not work for you? What could we do differently next time? Like, what do you think? And having kind of that open conversation and I found kids are very responsive to it. They're like, well, we didn't, like this part didn't really work. We didn't really understand that, you know, we liked this, but you know, if we could change this, like that would be better. And so what do you think would be better? Well, what about, you know, and so I don't necessarily have to use what they say, but like hearing what they had to say brings value to that and, and gives me an idea of, do I really need to change what I did here or do I need to change how my instruction goes in order for that piece to work better? And you know, I'm playing around with that. And so I like hearing from the kids and I like hearing from fellow teachers and stuff like that, that, you know, you know, here's this idea, help me figure out how to make it work, you know, in a broader sense. And I think you bring up a really good point about making sure that we're listening to the kids. Because a lot of times as teachers, we do go in and we have preconceived notions of how our instructions are going to be heard and how they're going to be implemented. And we all know that that is not always how it works. Yeah. So Linda, you do some in-class support. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that collaboration. How does, how does that work and how does UDL fit into that? Well, I think in a, when we're talking collaboration between a general ed team and a special ed teacher or something like that, it's really helpful to have some dedicated planning time. You know, I really thought that I was much more effective when I had some time to plan from the beginning. So if we collaborate on the design of the lesson and set it up that way where they're, where it's set up in a framework where there's different ways to, uh, for students to be successful, it's so much easier than if we tried to go on the back end and just accommodate or modify something that's already been written because I feel like we have a lot of value to add in the planning of the lesson to begin with. 
And sometimes I think that falls by the wayside just for time constraints or for um, scheduling issues that we're not, um, we're not all involved in, in the same room together. Um, but I think what Sorrell said about anticipating roadblocks, you know, how you find out that if you bounce your ideas off somebody, and sometimes we're the person that they're bouncing ideas off of, then I can say, well, I think I can, kids might struggle with this part. How about if we do this differently? Or what about my kids who have a disability in this way? What if we added in something else? So I think the earlier in the lesson design that you start those types of things, the better it's going to work out. And I'm glad you brought up lesson design. Mm -hmm. So, looking at lesson design, Kara, mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about maybe reverse design, you know, mm -hmm. that backward planning. Kind of tell us about that and, and the benefits that we would have using that with our UDL. Sure. So, both UBD, PLC, all the fun acronyms, um, especially lately, have talked about starting with what is it that we want our students to learn, moving to how are we going to assess to see if they've learned it, and then PLC breaks down that the, the teaching part into what will we do when they haven't learned it and what will we do with those that already know it. Um, and I think UDL kind of creates a fifth question, if you're talking about the four PLC questions, where we are trying to prevent, again, that, that breakdown of the third and fourth question where we're saying these kids didn't and these kids did, well, how can we prevent even needing to ask the third question? So how can we make sure that our instruction and our curriculum is planned in a way that all of our kids are going to get it the first time, which might be a lofty goal, but it's better to aim for that, um, rather than assuming that we're gonna just teach it one way and then we're naturally gonna have these two groups appear, those that didn't get it and those that did. Instead, how can we be proactive um, in the planning, like Linda's saying. All right, so moving deeper into lessons and those kinds of things, um, what are some different techniques that you guys have seen in classrooms and maybe you haven't even done them, but you've heard about them or you've seen them that are, that seem to have really good outcomes for our kids. The, like they're able to, instead of having to write that five page paper, they're able to do other things in place of it. What are some kinds of things that you've seen that you've been able to take those arduous tasks and replace them with multiple different tasks that fit different needs? We did it with my team, um, and we kind of did it last year more as a check to see, um, like with virtual learning, we were afraid our kids would be able to cheat too easily on something using Google. And so we're like, this is something that's very easily Google, but we still need to know that they have it. And so we did what was called a live quiz with our kids. And um, it was a template that they each got and they each had a different set of elements that they had to do different things with, but it was consistent as to what they had to do. So each kid's was unique and I was doing it live and in person with that kid so I could immediately catch what this kid knew or didn't know and I could step in immediately and provide interventions and stuff like that to help them like make sure they they knew it or what so it, it highlighted things that overarching issues that I was seeing with kids it highlighted individual issues that I would need to and things that like what are and then that led to okay now what do I need to do for individuals or what do I need to do overall to kind of address these issues that came out of this as a result um, and we loved, it was arduous, but we loved the results that we got from it because it did highlight that so much. And so we're even 
taking it into our, uh, this year we're gonna do it again in that same unit, but we're also gonna, we've adapted it now to happen in our current unit that we're doing right now as well. Um, and we're like, cause we like the format. And so like, I have that one-on-one -on -one piece with a kid where I can immediately address the issue and they have a, they can show it to me however they need to show it to me in this format. And like, that way I'm catching it right away and then and there. And so that was something that we did um, that we've really, really liked that worked really, really well. That sounds really, really great. That individualized attention that you're giving the students. I, you know, I've actually seen in the hallway, um, teachers doing one-on-one -on -one quizzing with students or going over uh, presentations that they've created and it just amazes me the amount of conversation they're able to produce with that student when a lot of times we don't break our groups down into small groups that we work with we just assign it to the kids in general like you're going to work in small groups and I'm going to watch everybody all at once instead of taking our time and sitting down with those groups. I like what you said about catching them right when they kind of go off track because then I would think that lessens the frustration. You know, if you've gone and done a whole assessment and you've been completely off base and then you, your grade isn't good or you have to redo it, that leads to a lot of frustration and a lot of kind of beating yourself up that I think you would kind of avoid and build in some success by stopping them and kind of redirecting, yeah. redirecting mm -hmm. them onto the right path. I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I feel like COVID kind of broke our notion of assessment in the best kind of way because um, I think our concerns about grading as quickly as possible and avoiding cheating and all these things have slowly like chipped away at the true purpose of the assessment and I think we've had to go back to the purpose in order to make um, the necessary changes make sense. So like if the purpose is truly just to assess whether or not they've learned it, how can we achieve that under these new circumstances? And it sounds like that is a great way. I mean, truly, you were able to answer the question, have they learned this material or not? Um, it just looks different than what we've done for the past few years um, in a good way. So now, and if y'all haven't done this, this is cool, we can cut this out. Um, have, have any of you guys had the opportunity to have your students track their own learning and their progress? and looked at those goals and really kind of designed some lessons around those kinds of things. I actually started this journey this year. Um, I was working with Kara because I came in after my first test and my kids struggled a lot. And I had done test tracking before, but I wanted to be more intentional with this one and catch it and start designing it instead of it me catching it at the back end after they've already taken the test how can I design it to where we start with this tracking and then kind of evaluating where they are with their understanding of the standards. So from a time perspective, the first two are just, you know, they're evaluating the test um, afterwards. But for this current unit, we set it up to where it, they start with it and they have a tracker and it tells them what the standards are and they had a pre-assessment that they had to do and then they had to go back into that and they had to, you know, I got two out of three on this standard, I got three out of three on this standard. And so my next step is they have what's called um, a mini quiz with me. And so that's like a four or five question little check that they do in Schoology. It's quick for me, it's quick for them, it's immediate feedback. But then now they can go, we're gonna go back into the tracker again. Okay, well now, how did you do on those standards from the mini quiz? And let's go in and did you improve or did you stay the same? Um, and then right before the test, we're gonna have a put your money where your mouth is question. And so they're gonna be like, can I answer this question just like it would be on the test, yes or no? 
And then after they take the test, then they're going to look at it again. Did I really achieve this or, you know, and stuff like, and so to open up a whole lot of different conversations with the kids and stuff like that. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the results of that are. Um, it just started. And so we'll see how it's going. I really wanted them to kind of have that moment to evaluate what am I doing? What is it that I struggle with? What are the pitfalls that I need and what can I do to overcome those? Um, and so it's good for them to have that level of realization and also for me too to kind of go in and see okay so let's look at your chart okay so you struggled with this this and this so next time when we you know when we're not on our next unit what what are some things that we can do to help you or that you would want to do differently to maybe fix it so that we don't have that same situation so that you are more successful and stuff like that yeah that's awesome yeah I would say this is one of the things that I started to get really passionate about before I left the classroom. So I was excited like that Sorrel reached out just so that I could continue playing around with this idea. Um, because I don't know if y'all are familiar with John Hattie's research, visible learning and all of his, um, all the math he did to figure out what would be the most impactful for students. But um, students self-reporting their grades and their growth has an effect size of 1.33, um, which is huge when you compare it to just some of the other things that we do that we think has a lot of meaning. Um, so, like I said, I started to try to do things like this in my classroom right before I left. Things like starting with that tracking from the very beginning um, of a unit and making sure that students are clear on what our goals and objectives are. I think that we started to do that in our classrooms by putting like the learning target on the board, but we forget that it's so much bigger than that and kids have the capacity to understand that it's bigger than that. That this is one learning target out of an entire year's worth of standards and there's no reason why students shouldn't be on the same page about what we are here to do in school, which is to learn the set of standards and make sure that we walk away with an understanding of at least these high priority ones, maybe the extras. Like I think our entire process could be so much more um, just, uh, what's the word? Transparent to students. Like I think they could be included in a lot more of the process and then it wouldn't just be on us to track things. They could do it and it would be more meaningful to them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. and. I know in the special education world, it's sometimes more difficult for our students to understand exactly what it is that we're working toward. And there's a lot of frustrations that they have, and, and Linda, you can chime in on this, um, when they are thinking, I can't get what everybody else gets. But I think if we have them tracking those things, they get a lot more than they give themselves credit for a lot of times. And um, I think even if we have those little trivial things that we can track, some of those kids, they'll really attach to those. And they're like, yeah, I didn't get all of this, but I got this. And this is, you know, those little things that will really kind of grab them and help them want to do better on other things. It affects their motivation. Sure. All right. Um, moving on down the line here. Um, now, then we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, and Linda has heard me talk about this multiple times. We're going to talk about scaffolding. Um, and um, the importance of scaffolding any skill that you see and how it affects our students. So who wants to open this can of worms? When you talk about scaffolding, can you tell me more about what you... So how you define that? So let's say you have you have a student who uh, yesterday we talked about a student who's struggling with reading, and you you have a seventeen year old student he's having a hard time with comprehension. How do you help them? And so really, what you look at is 
what skills do you need to be able to accomplish this goal? And let's do a task analysis. Let's look at every single step that you have to go through to be able to comprehend something. And we're gonna work very diligently and explicitly on teaching him all those single steps that you have to go through. And then we're gonna start taking the steps away and seeing what he has grasped and what he still needs supports in and then create more competence in him so that he can continue on. So, I mean, this is like Special Ed 101. And I, I think that this is a, a way of teaching that not only benefits those kids that are lacking a lot of skills, those that we're having to go and meet at their level, but also helps us to pull them up a lot faster to meet the standards that we're trying to get them to. Um, what are some ways that you guys use to pull those kids up and get them to the standards where they need to be? Well, just something as simple as pre-teaching the vocabulary. You know, sometimes we'll give some of our strugglers or some of our students who have trouble grasping the content the vocabulary ahead of time or go over it with them or even access to the whole lesson ahead of time so that if they're motivated enough, they can look at it before they come to class and maybe... If, if they take a little longer to process or if they need more time to read it or something like that, then they're maybe a step or two ahead of where they would be if it was brand new to them when they came into class. I mean, and all the, all the assistive things that we have that, that our technology can do, you know, if you're struggling with reading or you're struggling with writing, you know, there are ways to accommodate all those things too so that they don't get bogged down in, in all of that. Um, I don't know. What else? Yes, Absolutely. I think um, this makes me think about how important it is for teachers to have a really solid understanding of their content um, because I think that what this comes down to is are you able to separate in your mind like what is truly the skill that you're trying to assess and what doesn't matter so for example if we're trying to get a student to identify main idea I'm, I'm a math person so I shouldn't have gone that way but um, do we do we care if the student is given a dictionary to define words? No, because that really doesn't matter in terms of whether or not they're able to take an entire paragraph or book, whatever, and synthesize the main idea. So I think that that can get a little muddy when you're not clear on your content and you're not sure where those lines need to be drawn as far as <coughs> this is not going to affect their or our assessment of that skill and this is going to affect our assessment of that skill. Because I think that can be hard, especially mm -hmm. when you're um, new to your content or new to the profession, it's hard to figure out where that line needs to draw. Um, but I think obviously that's what makes y'all's roles helpful um, in reaching out to support teachers who are used to doing that. For me, like when you talk about like the scaffolding, I think very content specific. Um, like for me, like in chemistry, like I always take the kid back. I'm like, well, they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, let's go even back. Let's go, what do you know? Like, what do you know about this? Tell me about this, you know, and they'll tell me. I'm like, okay, so now if we know that, what about this? And so kind of taking them one step at a time and eventually they do get to where they're like, oh, okay, you know. And so chemistry is a very much, I started here so that you could use this information to do this step. And then we started here so that you could use that to do this step. It very much builds. And so our content, we start at the bottom every single time and scaffold the kids up to where they will need to be by doing all the little basics and putting them all together to make that big picture. 
Um, and so for us, it's constantly going back to the beginning again. Of, okay, well, what, let's start down back at the beginning and let's kind of slowly build up. And you have some kids that are like, they can stay here and they can keep going here. And you have some kids that you have to go back to the beginning every single time with. And that's okay. Um, and it's like you said too, it's like for this, do I need to worry about them knowing the trend for ionization energy? No, I need them to know what an ion is. So later on when they encounter that word, they understand what that means and then they can then take that and be like, oh, okay, well, since this lost an electron, it's an ion, it can now form a bond with this thing. And so for me, it's very, it, it gets much more specific, but it is the same. We always go back to those building blocks, those initial things, because chemistry is very new to all of them and they don't necessarily understand all the little tiny pieces that go together. I'd be right there with them. <laughs> okay, um, so in, in UDL, one of the things that they really um, talk about is ha having choices for presentation of knowledge. Um, what are some of your experiences with choices, good and bad? I mean, we're here to talk about successes and failures because we all learn from both. Um, so if you could share any of your successes or failures that you've seen or experienced personally, um, let's talk about um, some of those student choices. For me as a teacher, I like being choice, but it's a more specific level of choice. It's not just a open seizing kind of thing. Like I, you know, I need, uh, I would like y'all to make a presentation on this and here's the very specifically what has to be in that presentation. Now, how you make that presentation or what that presentation ultimately looks like is your choice. These are the things that I need to see in that presentation. And then I like to give them ideas or suggestions. Um, and then if they want to do something other than those, come talk to me just so that way I can make sure that that format will be able to do what they're wanting to do. Um, and so I'll do something like that. So it's not that like you have, you can go out and do whatever you want. You, you know, here's what you have to do and here's what has to be contained within it. But then from there, what that ultimately looks like is up to you. Um, and I have found it's very valuable for the kids to have examples to see. And so I keep a lot of former students work and they'll always ask, well, did this one make an A? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just kept it, you know? And so like they, and I'll sometimes they're like, well, why don't you get off the rubric and see, does it meet the rubric, you know? And have them kind of do that and be like, oh, you know? And so also having that chance to look at what somebody else has done and be like, you know, now I know I, could, I should probably do this and different and I could do this and giving them those ideas and stuff like that. When, uh, I, when we've talked about presentations and things, when, when we have students who really struggle with presenting in front of the class or presenting with a group and things like that, one thing that we did several times last year was use Flipgrid or use some other type of app so that they can do their presentation, you know, privately with me or in the privacy of their home and their teacher still gets to see everything they know. They just don't have to get up in front of everybody and talk. And I think it's really a better you're getting a better understanding of what they know because they're not, you know, so shy and so worried and so nervous that they miss a bunch of stuff. So we got really good results with that. Um, I also worked with a teacher who did kind of a choose your own adventure type of test. And they take a long time to, to write and they take a long time to make sure that you're testing everything you want to test. But you know, you could answer one 50 point question and 
you know, four or two 25 point questions and get your whole 100 points. Or you could answer a whole bunch of littler, you know, depending on where you felt strong, if you felt strong on just uh, multiple choice questions and basic knowledge, do you feel better about just writing a big old essay answer to a question? And so kids could prove their knowledge in different ways. You know, if I'm not exactly sure I'm gonna get this right, but I can tell you everything I know and you can grade me on that. And so that way kids who who struggle with true, false, multiple choice matching kind of things still get to prove their knowledge. Now it takes a long time to write and it takes a really long time to grade. So it takes an investment on the part of the teacher, but it really, the kids really responded well to it. Well, and you should, in theory, earn that time back on the back end because mm -hmm. you're not having to do reassessments or, yeah, remediation, things like that, um, because you're able to know what they truly know right off the bat mm -hmm. and more kids will be successful, yeah. Okay, speaking of assessments, let's, let's talk about exit tickets. Benefits, drawbacks, what have you guys seen? Kind of my mini quizzes that I do is kind of, it's an exit ticket slash, because that, that's really the only daily grade that I take is, they have all these practices that we do, we do together, they can do individually, they have all these access, but then to for me to assess whether or not they know it, they just have like this quick little five question thing. And they're allowed to work with each other and use their notes and stuff like that. But that gives me a really quick snapshot for individual kids or for the class as a whole as to what the problems are. And I can look at it that night. It closes and I can open it up and I can see it and I can be like, ooh, okay, before I see A-Day again, I have to talk about this. Or um, one of my favorites is I'll give them, like if it was a short answer, I'll take a screenshot of one that got full points and, or like two or three of them and like, or picture answers or whatever and put them on the board the next class. I'm like, hey y'all, this is an answer that got full points. So these are the things you need to make sure that you talked about in those questions and stuff like that. And so when you get yours back, which they do get to go back and look at them with the correct answers too, then I'm like, go look at yours and compare it to this one and see what are the things that you were missing or that you didn't talk about or that you needed to address and stuff like that. And I still answer individual questions. Like they're like, well, I don't understand why I lost a point on this, but that's, it's, fast and it's quick and I have I can immediately respond the very next class we can talk about it and I can know can I move on or do I need to spend more time on this or you know it helps with um, intentional grouping as well so if I have a group activity that they're doing in the next class I'm like these all these are kids that all they blew through through it no problem they can go work on this I'm going to give them something that's just a smidge harder I'm not going to know but it's just going to be a smidge harder these kids really struggled I'm going to give them something that's a little more scaffolded that they need to work through and I'm going to make sure that when I'm checking in with the groups that I spend a little bit more time with them um, and so that way they're all on the same page and they also can't just rely on this kid, the smart kid to just give them all the answers. They actually still like, have to like struggle together um, which I see a lot of value in the mutual struggle um, as a teacher and so it's I like I love them as exit tickets, as exit tickets in quick little quick little assessments to see where they're at. Well, and to piggyback on what Sorrel said earlier with her um, tracker that she's using, I feel like ex exit tickets have historically just been like a teacher tool to figure out where they're at, maybe make some groups, all the beautiful things you just described, which I think is still a purpose, but if you're combining it with students and you their use of the exit ticket, I feel like it has even more power. Um, 
So using something like a tracker, even just using Schoology, which is going to grade automatically. I know when I first started teaching, I was like, get a note card and write your answer down. But then I never really passed them back because there was no point. It took much time. I didn't grade them until two days later. <laughs> didn't really use them how they're supposed to. But I think when we have tools like Schoology um, that'll do that automatically for you and make it quick, like you're saying, I think that they can hold a lot of power in communicating both to the student and the teacher um, how everybody's doing. I really became a fan of exit tickets last year when we were doing hybrid and we had some of our kids at home and some of our kids at school and sometimes it was really hard to be able to tell who really grasped what because invariably you're focusing on one group or the other but if you put something into Schoology make it an exit ticket and then then you can go back that night and say oh we need to go back and cover this again because it, it, we were so kind of spread apart and kind of um, all over the place that I found that was really helpful and that was when I first really grew to love an exit ticket just to know if I needed to reteach something. It's great too because my kids will see like and even it happened today they had a mini quiz today and they had to do it in class and the kids were right away okay I got an 88 out of a 100 which one did I miss and so I can immediately you know I'm like oh, well let's go look and see and so we pull it up and I'm like oh it's this one oh I thought it would be this because I did it and it's a, like a great conversation happens right there because the kid immediately saw. Well, that's reteaching you know. right there without you even having to make a plan. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much more benefits than, than negatives. Mm -hmm. My thoughts too. All right. Um, so if you have a new teacher that came into our building and you had to explain UDL in three sentences or less. Think about that. In three sentences or Three sentences or less. You can use that. Uh, if it's a really long one sentence. As long as it's not a really bad <laughs> run-on sentence. It might be. <laughs> Three sentences or less. Um, or, or how about, let's, instead of doing that, let's do, let's do three to five adjectives that would describe UDL. Proactive. Mm -hmm. Flexible. Adaptable. Mm -hmm. I hesitate to say fair because I don't like that word. It gets, it, it takes us down a path that's equitable maybe. <laughs> equitable maybe. Engaging. I, I think it's uplifting too because there's more success being acknowledged and encouraged. Mm -hmm. Which makes you more yeah, maybe even encouraging would be a good word. Um, I mean, and when we're looking at our, a lot of times when we're looking at programs such as UDL, we immediately think of those who are struggling, but we have a big tendency to forget those that we really need to challenge. And that's the one thing I really like about this is that a teacher can have a whole bunch of kids ranging in a whole lot of knowledge that you can reach every one of them in one class period. Um, that's one of the things that I always enjoyed about teaching, always found as the challenge was, how am I gonna work with this kid that's just learning how to read and I've got this other one that's ready to go write a dissertation? And uh, just that challenge alone, being able to figure out oh, well, if I've got this going on over here, I can have this going on over here, and I can get this guy to do that, and this guy can do this, and then we can take all this stuff and put it together, and everybody can learn from it. 
And to me, that's what UDL is. It is looking at your kids. It's a, just kind of knowing them more than anything. And I think that's the one thing that's really important that we spend those first two weeks here on our campus of meeting our kids where they are, learning who they are, enjoying who they are, and being real. Being real with our kids, letting them see that we're real people, and letting them be real back with us. Um, I mean, sometimes they get too real, but you know, mm -hmm. that's another story. But that's what makes the connections in education that help teach kids feel confident in themselves enough to make mistakes. And if they don't make mistakes, they never learn. And if we're not here to support them through those mistakes or correct those mistakes, they're not gonna learn either. I think UDL gives us those tools to create that safe environment, to quickly change those mistakes and help those kids see that they are valued in their education, that they do have a say in their education, and that gives them the buy-in to do better as they're working through their education. Well, and we said it's encouraging and uplifting for the kids, but I think it's encouraging and uplifting for the teachers too, because it's so much more fun and more enjoyable when your kids get it. You know, if you see more success, then you're gonna be more encouraged and more motivated to keep doing it. I think it's, I think it's good for us too. Okay. Any other last thoughts? Well, I just want to thank you guys for being here today. I know it makes for a long day when we do this in the afternoons, but uh, I know other people will be able to hear this and benefit from it, and I just appreciate you guys taking the time out to share with everyone. all of our conversations on the Big Reset podcast, where we discuss multiple topics of universal design for learning. I want to say a special thanks to Linda Yurcher, special education teacher at Coppell High School, Sorrell Kimball, science teacher and department chair at Coppell High School, and Kara McWilliams, instructional coach at Coppell High School. Special shout out to Monday Hoax for their music, Orange Juice on the Table, available at fixabay.com. I'm your host, Julie Springer, and I hope you have a wonderful day. May the coffee you drink be stronger than the learners in your classroom.